Hi, and welcome to the Unhinged History Podcast, the podcast where two random individuals who might have their fingers up their nose compulsively read <laughs> cautionary tales and then or non-cautionary tales and tell their husbands the tales both un and cautioned. <laughs> if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Uh, if you are joining us from South Carolina or Texas, um, boy, we've seen your numbers spike. It's been entertaining. What have Thanks. we done? Yeah, please tell us what we've done. <laughs> we have questions. I know. Like, just out of nowhere, the South Carolina contingent appeared in force. It's amazing. I like, and I don't think we can decide if we've done something wrong and are afraid. Yeah, like, or we've done something right and have a bunch of new friends. <laughs> are we going to have a subpoena served because you guys are actively gleaning for some nugget of evidence or what? Penelope Barker was from North Carolina. <laughs> mm. I'm trying to think if I've ever if I've ever um, accidentally offended an entire state. I mean, I did bring up Texas when we talked about Santa Ana and the Alamo. That's true. So there's that. Yeah, but the redoubtable Santa Ana. I mean, you know, and I believe I spoke mostly positive about Texas. Yeah, I think you did. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe they are not used to that. Well, I mean, look, the don't mess with Texas trope is massive, and I am just afraid of <laughs> all of it. Yeah, I mean, really. <laughs> Honestly, we'll just we'll just leave it at that. But Matthew McConaughey, if you're listening, we love the sound of your voice. I mean, could you? <laughs> just saying, just saying, right? <clears throat> so, I don't. I didn't remember paying attention to who went first or last last time to indicate who should go first or last this time. I think I went. First, last time. Okay. Question mark. Yeah, and I don't have. Do you want to rock paper scissor it? No, I really don't. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm okay with that. I mean, I'll just I could go. I there's um, yeah. there's nothing in my story that makes me go. Ooh, I should <laughs> not go. I should not be the first one to talk today. <laughs> mm. Or I should not be the last one to talk. You know, like. Yeah, so. I don't think there's anything in my story that should should indicate um, one way or the other. Okay. Well, I mean, I can tell you right now that my husband is pretty tired of hearing about this. So <laughs> here you go. Do, do go. Um, <laughs> do go on then. I, I will give you my sources at the top because I won't remember to do it at the end. Um, the uh, they, they do kind of uh, spoil it. So maybe, maybe earmuffs. Um, one podcast do, called. Do you want me to just take my headphones off and then you can put your head, you can put your hand up when you want me to put my headphones back on? Yeah. Why don't we do that? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so we have cautionary tales with Tim Hartford, monkey for mayor, and his day on this day in esoteric political history. BBC.com, the monkey mascot who became mayor by Richard Moss. The Guardian, Mayor Hengus the monkey finally loses his heart lapole habitat. Historic UK has an article, The Hanging of the Hartlepool Monkey by Ben Johnson. I'm so excited. Okay. 
Welcome back, Angie. I'm going to start <laughs> us off at, during the Napoleonic Wars in the early 19th century. This is a war fought between England and France. Uh, there was a picture of this. There's a French ship that's spotted off the coast of England near a small town of Hartlepool. And the townspeople, they're suspicious of enemy ships and they're incredibly nervous <laughs> of an invasion. Yeah, like <laughs> there's a possible invasion on the way. So this is this is newsworthy. And so the good folk of Hartlepool, they rush down to the beach and among the wreckage of the ship, they find a sole survivor. It is a ship's monkey that is dressed in a military style uniform. Do you have a painting? I, I don't. So you, right now we're just going to have to use our little imagination. Okay. Uh, he's wearing a bray. Quite possibly. And it's <laughs> neat you say that because um, Hartlepool is a long way from France, especially if you are back in the 19th century. And mm -hmm. the people of Hartlepool have never met a Frenchman. They've seen satirical cartoons and at the time, those cartoons are depicting monkey or fr the French as a monkey-like creature. Uh, they've got claws. They've got tails. Um, so the people of Hartlepool, in theory, you could forgive them for buying into the propaganda and believing that this little monkey was indeed a Frenchman. Um, technically, I mean, he failed from France. <laughs> he did. He did. Um, but they assumed, right or wrong, that this was an actual human French person. And not yeah. only did they assume French, but had to be a spy. Because why else would he survive? <laughs> now, <laughs> reputedly, there was a trial to ascertain whether the monkey was guilty of spying or not. And not unsurprisingly... When they questioned the monkey, the monkey's responses were not in intelligible English. Or French, for that matter. Well, but see, they don't know French. So they can't prove that it's not French. Is she a witch? I mean, this is this, this is the same logic, right? If she like... drowns, she's innocent. This is, okay, this has Monty Python written all over it. So... The court does what the court, you think the court would do. The court finds the monkey guilty. And the townsfolk, they say, drag him into the town square. I I don't think the monkey would need much, right? You'd carry it, right? Like, unless you're getting real close to the ground and, like, pushing him against the ground. Like, there's just no way. And then they hang him. <gasps> you know, you did talk about hanging the pig in a couple episodes, like, one of the early episodes. Did I? You did. You did talk about hanging a pig. I swear to you. Did you actually go back and find that? That so, episode? So that I could... <laughs> I, I'll figure it out. But yeah, at one point you do talk about hanging a pig. Um, that checks. Okay. And so, you know, we this could be legend, right? It, it, it may be, you know, like made up. But we, we almost doubt it because... You know, we wouldn't want to think that they hung a, a poor defenseless monkey, but the problem is there there may also be a darker side to this tale. Uh, it could be that they hung a small boy or whom they, you know, would be referred to as a powder monkey. And these small boys could have been employed on warships at this time. I don't like any of this. Okay. Well, I mean, it could make it better. 
It will. It will. It's coming around. I I know I told you that I I I didn't have anything crazy that was awful, and I promise you, you we're gonna get better. We're gonna get. Through I mean, this. honestly, anything that's not Thierry, like or Terrari, ter- 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 you know, Terrari. Thank you. Yeah, no, I always want to say Thierry, but I know that's not right. Um, but just stick with me for a bit. This okay. next paragraph pulls us right back out of the funk. Okay. Okay. So over the centuries, this has been a used as a taunt for the residents of Hartlepool. And indeed today, the football matches between the local rivals of Darlington and Hartlepool United, there's a chant, who hung the monkey? They can often be heard during games. And the Hartlepudians, believe it or not, that's how they refer to themselves. Uh, They they tend to love this story. And Hartlepool United's mascot is a monkey. Um, Points if you can guess the name of the monkey. Napoleon? Hengus. Hengus? Like H apostrophe Angus. Okay. Hengus, the monkey. Okay. Okay. Um, And the local rugby union team, the Hartlepool Rovers, is known as the monkey hangers. So they they lean into it. That's what I'm trying to go with. Really own it, you know? Yeah. Okay. So now that we have that, we're going to fast forward to 2002. Okay. There's a man named Stuart Drummond, and he is the local mascot for the Hartlepool Rovers. And Hangus. Yeah, his name's Hangus. Well, yeah, Hangus the monkey, right? Well, and it's also at this time that Hartlepool, for whatever reason in 2002, decides that now is the time to get their very first mayor. Oh. They've never had a mayor before. We've never had a mayor before. Okay. Yeah. In 2002, so fairly local, which is interesting, or fairly recent, so it's fairly interesting that this would be the time. But the townsfolk didn't necessarily know what a mayor would do, what the responsibilities would be, who would be a good one. And so there's a lot of internal debate around the city about what they should do. And this 28-year-old at that point decides, you know what we should do? We should do some brand awareness campaigns where me, Hang- as as Hangus the monkey, not Stuart Drummond, Hangus the monkey runs for mayor. Of course. And then it'll raise awareness about who we are and what we do. And then if we raise any money, we'll just donate it to charity. Okay. So, I can, I'm you here know, for it. publicity stunt. And um, yeah, everybody wins. Okay, so this is all going on, and he runs on the can- the the platform free bananas for school children. Oh my god! <laughs> okay. Okay. So <laughs> it's not a solid platform by political standards. <laughs> I'm and- I'd vote for it. So he's doing all of this, and he, at, he again he's 28. He stands as the independent candidate in a stunt just dreamed up for publicity. For the soccer, the the football team, soccer team. I'm gonna go back and forth. Oh, so are there real candidates too? Like there uh, are real candidates. Okay. Like okay. yeah, that is hilarious. And so I'm voting for the monkey. His publicity, uh, it works. It creates headlines, and uh, he beats all odds, and he ends up defeating the high-profile labor favorite. It's by a narrow margin, but he still wins. And looking back, he says there was great fear and trepidation. There was excitement when I won the when there was an election. 
I can't really describe it because it was so unexpected. It was a case of what happens now because I've never been into politics. I didn't know what to expect. He's 28. He is, his job is being a mascot for the soccer team. And his previous job was at a call center. This gets better and better. He has like, done customer service. He knows how to entertain people. He's going to be a great mayor. So you say, right? <laughs> but now, like, he's going through, like, the full rigmarole because there was the, you know, Hartlepool MP, Peter Mendelson, who supported the high-profile labor candidate that he beat. Okay. So the actual politician overseeing that region, you know, think kind of state representative. I'm, I'm, you know, this is, this is how I'm thinking about it. I didn't really see what an MP does, but th- these are my thoughts. MP Peter Mendelssohn pulls Stuart Drummond aside. He calls Stuart Drummond and he'll be Stuart Drummond from now on, as opposed to Hangus. He calls him a disgrace oh. and, and said <gasps> that he would set the whole town back 20 years. Devastating. Stuart also says that he continued to say businesses won't invest in this town anymore. And you've made a laughing stack. A, a lot. <laughs> Take two. Right. <laughs> Mr. Drummond adds, he said to me, businesses will never invest in this town anymore. You've made us a laughing stock. And I went, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yes, sir. Are I mean, like, what do you do to that? Right. Yeah, how like, do you respond? Like, first off, I you, I ran for, for this on a whim. Like, I didn't think I was going to win. Like, this whole idea <laughs> was dreamt up in a pub. Most As most good ideas are. Good ideas, bad <laughs> ideas. It is, but it's, it's, okay, like, so the Phoenicians say, you know, basically, if you want to make a good decision, make a decision sober, or sorry, make a decision drunk, and then look at that decision again when you're sober. Right. Don't the isn't there um ancient ancient Arabians also had arguments like that. And like that makes that, sense. That's how they would debate. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, hey, if it makes sense in both mind states, it's the way to go. Right. Yeah, I'm here for it. Okay. So then this MP who's totally speaking down to him says what he asks what school he went to, what he'd done at uni, and Stuart Drummond, he goes, well, business, French, Spanish. And then five minutes later, he's on TV saying, what an intelligent guy I was, that I spoke three languages and had the town at heart. That sounds right. And he responds with, so that was my introduction into how politics worked. Yeah, that sounds absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And so Drummond does the most incredible thing, you know, because he was voted in as a lark. But once he realizes, oh, crap, I got this job that I don't have any experience. Like, he didn't even lie <laughs> on his resume. I was just going to say, this is worse than lying on your resume. <laughs> right. Like, this is where you think that he did. But he, like, just wore a giant monkey costume. Yeah, And absolutely. really, really just goofed the whole time. Well, he starts taking classes at, like, basically their equivalent of a community college to really learn what to do to run a city. And... That's when the residents of Hartlepool realized what a good mayor he was. And three years later, they reelect him with a majority of more than 10,000 votes. I love that for him. And then in 2009, they reelect him again. Please tell me he's their king now. (laughs) 
<laughs> Hartlepool has seeded from the English, <laughs> and you can now visit Hartlepool. Hartlepool, the country, <laughs> which is only slightly smaller than, than Liechtenstein. <laughs> but he does uh, seem like the same kind of guy that you'd be able to have a beer with once a year. I get. I'm really getting that vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so they they don't seed. They don't start their own government. No, oh, devastating. Outside of the the royal or the United Kingdom. But in, in 2013, um, the town comes together and they were like, hey, you know, we tried about 11 years of this having a mayor thing. And um, yeah, it's not quite for us. Like, look, we didn't, we didn't sign up for this. <laughs> Drummond, you were great. But I, I think we're over it now. And in 2013, he leaves office after a referendum that ended the, the mayoral system. And the Hartlepool Council was set up to govern by committees. Okay. And Drummond looks back. But is there any one person that oversees the committees? No, it's just, it sounds like just straight bureaucracy. Okay. Okay. But either way, I'm just going to assume that Drummond built him, like worked his way out of a job. He just taught people how to do the things they needed to do. I mean, he was voted in. Twice he kept the same job for eleven years, which is fabulous. Yeah, but he's especially he, in a job like that, right? Yeah, but what I love they, him. What were they doing beforehand? Like, what made them think they needed him? Like, I've got additional questions that I couldn't necessarily find. This just means we have to go to Hartlepool and ask the questions. You know what? Actually, we might also have to go to Australia because. <laughs> Just like ancient aliens and how you have to travel across the other side of the world for the next leg of the story, after he loses the, or after he loses his mayoral, mayoraldom. <laughs> I don't think that's the right word, but that's what we're calling it from now on. <laughs> right. I mean, okay. So after, after Mayoral they, ship? <laughs> after he's ousted from city hall. <laughs> that makes it sound so much worse and the townsfolk <laughs> say you've ruined mares for us forever we're swearing <laughs> off all mares we're never doing this again we've been fine for the last thousand years we don't know what this 11 year experiment was this 11 years <laughs> you've been the best monkey we could have asked for for mare <laughs> anyhow um it's at that point he's looking back at his career and when he's being interviewed he he brings up like highlights like i guess in 2010 they had something called the tall ships race so imagine giant massive ships Sooners. yeah 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 and they have this race and it attracts nearly a million visitors to this city wow putting it on an quote international pedestal um yeah yeah so yeah drummond does like all of this pulls this rabbit out of the hat so at that point He's looking back at this. He goes, look, I've done some amazing things. I have elevated Hartlepool. I've left it better than I found it, which is a standard camping. So after he ends up getting ousted from government, <clears throat> ran out with pitchforks, um, he he Chased ends up with bananas. Yeah, he takes his bananas and runs. He goes to Australia. And he's, okay. As he's being interviewed, he's going on a four-year temporary visa with his wife and three kids. Oh, okay. So, okay, got it. Yeah, so and I don't know at what point he got married and had the children. I'm assuming this this delightful woman didn't marry a man in a monkey costume. <laughs> she married the mayor. She married the mayor. Yeah, she waited for him to move up a notch because my father said you lack the proper prospects. But now that you're mayor, we can get married. Um, 
It's very dramatic. Isn't it? It's it's very I was trying to go with a good Pride and Prejudice vibe, but you really you were you were there. You were there. Okay. I yeah. was okay. Good. I'm glad I aimed and and hit it. Um <laughs> but it was just very sweet because he says that it's something that him and his family going to Australia is they've been looking forward to for years now and that they've had a, a few false starts and that he wants to give his three children good opportunities over there and then adds and of course there's the weather so i'm assuming he's assuming like that it's going to be bright sunshiny like kind of going from portland to california yeah okay yeah and that is the story of the monkey mayor i'm just gonna tell you that it got so much better but it was absolutely not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> you know, and how I got there was the most wild ride. I was um, looking up times that we've elected animals to office. <laughs> and there was a rhino in Sao Paulo that was elected to city council. And the rhino's name translates to garbage. Well. And I... the rhino was a write-in name. And. And but, enough people wrote um, in. Yeah. But like the polit the politicians were so corrupt that a write-in campaign where people wrote garbage the rhino, or the Portuguese equivalent, uh, won. And a four-year-old rhino named Garbage was elected city council. I bet he now, made great decisions. Actually, it they didn't they didn't they they threw it out because they're corrupt and they said, look. First off, the rhino's four. Secondly, <laughs> uh, it's not technically our rhino. It's on loan from another area. So, you know, it's not even a resident. It's just a visitor. And so they, they they went the legal way to oust this rhino as opposed to just saying, well, it is an animal. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. They they <laughs> but so as as the place like as I was listening to a podcast discussing garbage the rhino winning the election, there was this little throwaway line about that time that an English city voted in the monkey mayor who was an actual human. And I went, go back, go back one, go, go back, go back one. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. And that's when I started learning about Stuart Drummond. I absolutely love Stuart Drummond and I'm going to go find pictures of him in his mayoral costume. I mean, he just looks like like milk toast Thanks right for that <laughs> you know i mean honestly just the most basic looking white dude with like absolutely short hair that you can you know imagine like you you have seen him i had a he, feeling <laughs> he is so average that you don't like the monkey costumes memorable okay okay you re-elect stuart drummond but you elect the monkey because he is so he's a monkey yeah he's he yeah you're not gonna you're not gonna think about this guy like he just i love that right i love him i love his sweet family moving to australia because you know after those 11 years in the limelight you might need a break truly just saying but it was just so delightful that you can grow into a role you lied on your resume, but you but got it. You nailed lie. it. <laughs> he didn't lie. Like we knew that he was a straight up schmuck and he did it. I'm here for it. Listen, that's like, that's like 
I'm I showed up, you know? Like I, I came here as a joke, but I won, so I'm gonna take my job seriously. And he could have just thrown it away. He could have just gone, you know what? I was running as a joke. Yes, I won, but we're gonna give it to the actual qualified person. Yeah. But, but turns he... out he did eleven years of great work. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should vote like that more often. I feel like we've tried, but it didn't do us right. I mean, maybe. Like, and I'm going to avoid naming names just because I don't want to alienate, say, the large contingent from South Carolina or Texas that are growing rapidly because well, I'm, af- I'm afraid. I, you know, listen, I'm, ex- I'm excited. I'm here for it. Do you want to hear my story? Do we have time? Yeah, please. We have time. I'm just looking over my sources because I have many, um, a lot of my sources come from, a lot of my story comes from the British Library and um, Britannica.com and uh, CromwellMuseum.org. And then there's a handful of other ones. One of my favorites is actually Twinkle and Twinkle is a children's learning site, but they have a lot of like great, like explain it to me like I'm five resources that help understand a lot of politics or whatever the topic you're you're looking up on Twinkle is and I thought it was so cute that they even had anything to say about this particular event <laughs> Have, so, did I miss you actually naming an event no I didn't name the event yet because it's not so much as an event as it is a person okay okay um so my story takes place a couple hundred years after the death of Henry VIII in England. Um, a couple years or a couple hundred years? A couple hundred years. Okay. But I have to tell you about the decade before for it to fully, like, explain itself. Before your story starts? Yes. Okay, sorry. I just, um, the chronology is already getting weird to me. Yeah, okay. So we, I, I have to men- I had to mention Henry VIII because he ushered in Protestantism, right? Like by separating from the Catholic Church and marrying Anne Boleyn, England okay. is now, we're, we're Catholic, Protestant, the whole, right? So All right. that, that, that's the framework we're working with. Okay. Yes. Okay. So um, we are, we are in the middle to late 1600s. And if you um, remember our girlfriend, Mother Shipton, who pointed out that Henry VIII was going to cause all kinds of problems and he she was a real thorn in his side. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that she was right. <laughs> but that's but that's neither here nor there, but fun to make the call back to Mother Shipton saying, hey, you're right, straight up problems. episode one. So right. Like absolutely love that that was a thing. Um, anyway. I'm. I'm going to call this the UK because that's what we know it as today. But um, back then it was not like our understanding of what the UK is today is not what it was then. And they they didn't call themselves the United Kingdom back then. Okay. In the 1600s. But for our understanding, it made sense to me to just refer to it as that. Um, Anyway, so at the time, Charles I is the king of England and he's been causing a bit of a kerfuffle for a while. By 1642, civil war has broken out. Um, the British Library Timeline website has a really great, like, straightforward explanation of this, which is 
quote, disagreements between Charles I and Parliament had been simmering for several years. Charles had been exercising too much power, such as raising taxes unreasonably and imprisoning without trial those who did not pay up. Civil broke out in 1642, and although Charles' royalist army had the upper hand at first, his advantage did not last long. By 1646, he surrendered. Parliament claimed the king had a wicked design totally to subvert the ancient and fundamental laws and liberties of the nation. So by May of 1646, Charles surrenders. Parliament, like I said, claims him to be the king, claimed that the king had, quote, a wicked design totally to subvert the ancient fundamental laws and liberties of this nation and that he had levied and maintained a civil war in the land. It was decided, after the royalists had been moved from Parliament and the opinion of the House of Lords ignored, that he would be executed. Mm. Hmm. Is this where Cromwell steps in? On January 30th of 1649, Charles I was beheaded while outside Banqueting House in Whitehall. Um, and, And so our boy Oliver Cromwell begins his decade of absolutely no fun as the Lord Protector of no good times in all of England and the UK. But but before we get to Cromwell, um, Charles I's reign didn't start out on a good note. Um, In the first year of his reign, he marries a French princess who is... (laughs) catholic and greatly offends the protestant subjects of his land um yeah because you know what what really chaps me it's not someone who has a different religion from me completely who doesn't believe in the lord jesus christ or doesn't believe in god (laughs) but someone who is so close so close to being exactly what i believe yep i think the exact same thing like do okay (laughs) yeah it's like Look, I'm not a big Diet Cola fan, but if you drink Diet Cola, I don't think you're a hair. Like, okay, let me let me go back because actually I don't drink soda so much, but I do drink coffee. And yeah. maybe maybe this is akin to decaf. Maybe, yeah, like decaf versus caffed. Right. You yeah, know, I think it's leaded so versus silly. unleaded. You yeah. know, but it, you know, so I might look at you if you're drinking decaf in the morning and go, what kind of Peasant. psychopath doesn't yeah. need why would but you do that to yourself? Yeah, this is me just looking at it like, how, how, how do you, how do you live? Like, how do you function with, without Don't. that blessed caffeine molecule? Yeah, so um, I, I fully agree with you on that. And I, I would think that more people would, would see the similarities as opposed to the differences and be like, okay, well, that's fine. But they didn't because, well, you know, that's how this works. Um. So while the Civil War is raging in England, before Charles I gets beheaded, he exiles his son to, quote, the continent. (laughs) Um, So he is now Which continent? Is it? Okay. Okay. Because I was just like, it's not the colonies, which would have been the US, but then there was also the prison, like Australia, like, but that's also a continent. I just... Yeah, no, the continent, like Europe, the rest of Europe. So... So he is in France and he spends some time at the Hague and he loves art. But remember Oliver Cromwell is uh 
a jerk. And <laughs> oh, yeah. from 1649 to 1653, Parliament ran England, but Cromwell thought it was an ineffective system for ruling England and that England was no better for it. So he backed by his army. He becomes the Lord Protector of England from 1653 to 1658. He was a Puritan and he was good at it. So good at it that he decided that everybody else needed to be just like him. He banned the theater which that's going to be important later. Most inns were shut down. Sports were all but canceled. Like, seriously, heaven forbid you send your kids out to play with the ball because Cromwell's going to have a problem with it. Um, Repeated offenses of swearing could get you prison time. I would be serving a life <laughs> sentence. And I'm not even going to get into what he thought women should wear and how they sh- and what they should be allowed to do because he is just so... I just can't see in this guy. He even bans saints' feast days like Christmas. But once a month, everyone does get a chance to fast for the day. So there's that. Oh, you know, I love that. Right? I love being poor and living on my meager subs- you know, substance farming and then going, oh, gosh, you know what will really make sure that this one potato lasts longer? Not eating it eat. today. Yep, I'll wait till tomorrow. Um, I even heard once, I, I'm not in, I don't have a source for this, but I heard once that he even banned singing. And this is a, this is to me a particular problem in Ireland. Um, kind of no wonder they had a beef, but in case you needed more of a reason to want to throat punch this guy, he hated the Irish Catholics so much and decided to send their children to the West Indies as slave labor in the plantations, which I did not know until I, doing this research. I didn't know either, but totally chill super chill um to say that he has enemies is an understatement he is a great ball of hypocritical sunshine uh he did die in 1658 his son took over but like i guess he super sucked at his job so in 1662 charles ii was brought back to england and asked to be king so charlie too has this real fun let's party it up anti-cromwell start style um he becomes home and he re- begins what's known as the restoration era he is considered the merry monarch and generally liked as one of the most popular monarchs in english history he is tolerant and grants religious freedom to both catholics and protestants Saints it would really be return. interesting if he only granted tolerance to the protestants to the right i'm, I'm just um, being facetious there but carry on yeah um he saint saint day feast return people are given more liberties and he reopens the theater um i heard on the queen's podcast that this was he was actually one of the first monarchs to actually attend the theater as opposed to the theater coming him like he would literally up and leave the palace to drive his carriage down to the theater instead of making the theater troop come to the palace which i think is pretty cool and um he insisted that women actually play the female roles instead of you know so we went back because this is pre oh no this is post this is post post okay yeah so um women are now allowed to play female roles which gives them another it gives them a little bit more um autonomy and uh freedoms because now they can hold another job outside of the home that isn't necessarily prostitution I mean, I think we always had laundress, right? And then like wet nurse, if you were of the right age and state, like capacity. Situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so this is just adding to the things that a woman can do without a husband basically um and all of these things are great for both the dramatic arts as well as art in general and literature um one of my favorite things that i learned about charles ii is that he was the the monarch during the great fire in london and um he did not flee he was there on the ground passing out buckets putting out fires doing what he could to save his city with his people there's there was one anecdote that said he he didn't sleep for like 30 hours like he was on the ground and he insisted in being in there with those are his people and he was going to to help them and that just like absolutely gets my heart like thank you sir (laughs) that is that is a much grander version of like queen elizabeth being a mechanic during the second world war yeah yeah and i i just think that it shows you to at least to me it shows me how much he cared about just the the capital city in general but the people like it wasn't when i was reading about it you didn't get a sense that he was like gasping with his hanky over his nose it was like he was in the muck and the mud and doing the work just like everybody else and i think that's so important for leadership to be that way so props to him and he could have been a complete rake absolutely like he spends his time his formative years in france and the hague like living it up right you know like this could have gone south this is this is surprising leaders from this is the episode <laughs> of the unsus you know that the leader the unsuspecting great. good leaders right um now that doesn't that doesn't mean he didn't have a fondness for the ladies because he had at least 13 mistresses in his lifetime <laughs> okay look, i never assumed that that he would not like you know this checks doesn't it i just and... couldn't find the dirt on the monkey mare and here's where my story starts hit my my actual story is neil gwen one of his mistresses but i had to tell you all of that backstory and set the stage lead up that was all lead up okay now right girl i'm in for it now so neil gwen was born february 2nd in 1650 in london she was called Eleanor Gwen at birth. It's believed that her dad died in debtor's prison while she was still a baby. And her mother kept a body house. I had ideas. Like a morgue? I, no, body like um, B-A-W-D-Y. Um, I'll give you the definition, like the legal definition that I found. It is a place that is considered a nuisance to the neighborhood and violates standards of morality and decency any house where disorderly persons are allowed to gather and disturb the peace of the neighborhood is also considered a disorderly house keeping a body house is a misdemeanor in common law um could also be a brothel but it could also be a pub it could also be a pub you're right are you are you trying to collect your dues um so yeah my my understanding is it couldn't be just a loud house it can be a brothel it can be a pub it can be anything that brings a nuisance to the neighborhood and that's what she's raised in um she helped out around the house by making sure that the clientele's glasses never ran dry so 
I'm not sure if this part of the story could be considered just absolutely traumatic or not, because we're not 100% sure if it was a brothel. Um, and if she was, quote unquote, sold in any way mm. as a young person. Um, but she definitely helped out as far as like serving and, and keeping people fat and happy for lack of a better better way um however which i think this is absolutely awesome when she was 14 her sister convinced her to sell oranges near the drury lane theater and this is where everything changes for her um here she meets the leading actor of the theater troupe for the drury lane theater his name is charles hart and um, by by the time she's 15, she becomes his mistress, which is so sad by today's standards. But I just, because it was such a strange world back then, I wonder if 15 is common to be a mistress, you know? I mean, Julie Dobney was probably that age, too. That's just what I was thinking. So there could be a interesting, like, cultural element. Because what timeline was Julie Dobney? Like, what year was she active? That was like 1640s, right? I think so. Yeah. So they're in they're they're running around the same time. Um, so I don't think like by today's standards, that is absolutely the worst. Right. But back then, I I've also lifespans were different, too. So I don't really know what it would have been considered back then. Well, and, you know, like I remember my English professor in college saying like look you got to think about you you're being sold the the trope that you know you're in college it's time to be you know debaucherous and live your life and she says but people your age in a ton of other countries are being told by this age you need to be married with several children and well settled down yeah so so here we are like that's that's the world she is living in um Britannica.com says that this is also probably when she makes her first stage performance. She spends several years on stage as the leading comedian of the King's Kingdom, often, excuse me, of the King's Company, often starring in romantic dramas. She could dance, sing, and gave great prologue and epilogue performances. So she is the triple threat. Yes. Um, this is where she earns the nickname Pretty Woody, Pretty Woody Neil. I was hoping it was pretty woody. Like, <laughs> pretty, pretty woody Neil. It's I have a hard time saying that, but I'm finding that there's a lot of um phrases like that I can't do. <laughs> like going up a hill in heels. That takes me a lot of work to say. But anyways. Oh, I thought just the act of going up a hill in heels, which I mean also. I mean, yeah, that's that's fair. That's probably where that we were talking about. That's how we came to that discussion anyway. <laughs> that, that would be awkward. Be like, no, no, try this this unique tongue twister. Yeah. Um, so at this point, she is also serving as the mistress to men of a more and more illustrious nature. Ah, Dukes the clientele is rising. Yes. She's um, taking her product upstream. She really, she is remarketing. Like she is honestly good for her to find her worth. Get that market rate. Right. Know your Um, value. Well, she did because in 1669, she catches the eye of Charlie too. 
uh, Charlie too is what he is from now on. I know. It's I could I, I honestly think he would love it. <laughs> um and he she becomes his mistress. Um we actually know that her last stage perform her last act on stage was, was with Charles Hart in Conquest of Granada by the Spaniards in January of 1670. And can I just take a moment right now to point out that not only do we know the date of her last stage performance, we know her actual birthday, which is so crazy considering that like we have queens that like ruled nations that don't know their birthday right well i mean they may have known their birthday but those have been lost but we don't right Right. like they didn't just like rule and go huh how'd i get here how old am i where have i been like yeah yeah um so i think it's awesome that we not only know her birthday we know when her last stage performance was and that last stage performance um actually was postponed by several months because they wanted to wait for her but she was pregnant with the king's son um where was i at oh okay so we paused because she was uh in the family way yes she is in the family way with the first of her sons um at this point, he puts her up in a lovely home and she is admitted to the inner circles of court. She would spend the rest of her life faithful to the king, giving him another son, entertaining all his whims and guests, and just overall living it up. But he never puts a ring on it. Never puts a ring on it. Um, she was <laughs> was the only one of his 13 mistresses that the public liked. But he never gives her a title. Which I think just super ticks me off. But she also, when when she became one of his official mistresses, she did not demand a huge stipend like the other ones did. Like she asked for five hundred a month, whereas they asked for like four thousand. Um, so she was just surviving, you know. Like she she wasn't trying to be a duchess, if you will. Mm. Um, however, <laughs> just because she was one the third she would just because she was the the mistress that the public liked didn't mean that she was without court drama and intrigue she did have her rivals and um lady castlemains who was the king's favorite was her biggest rival so she's the people's favorite and castlemere's the the king's favorite yeah castlemain is is called the king's favorite um However, another was the French Catholic Duchess of Portsmouth, who, when congratulating her on Neil's social rising, saying she was now as rich as a queen, Neil replied, quote, you are right, madam, and I am whore enough to be a duchess. Oh. <laughs> Do you for that burn? <laughs> oh, man. Um, I also really love this. Another time she said this gem. When another one of his mistress's son, by the name of Charles Lennox, was made the Duke of Richmond, Neil was upset. Her two sons had yet to be provided with titles and lands, unlike um, Charlie II's other illegitimate sons. So when Charles visited, Neil is said to have called to her son, quote, Come here, you little bastard, and say hello to your father. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like I might be a part of her family line because that's the sh- that's the kind of shade I throw. 
right? To which he reprimanded her and said not to insult the child with the label bastard. Neil replied, why, sire, your majesty has given me no other name to call him by. Soon thereafter, Neil's firstborn son received the title of the Duke of St. Albans, Earl of Beaufort, and the Baron Headington. <laughs> However, well done. Right? Um, the reason I chose to do her is this little bit. She Picture it. You're out on a Sunday ride, minding your business, when you hear a bit of a... a, bit of a her fluffle? Her fluffle out about town. And one story said it was angry mobs. Uh, another story said it was just whispers. But there is obviously some type of something happening in the carriage outside. Some type of something. Yes. Um, and she has come to the conclusion that they think that she is the king's French mistress. Who they don't trust because she's Catholic. Right? To that whole Catholic Protestant thing. Yeah. <laughs> And she, I love her so much. She leans out the window and says something to the effect of, pray, good people, be silent. I am the Protestant whore. (laughs) (laughs) Or my personal favorite, because it's told both ways. You are mistaken. I am the Protestant whore. And then just goes about her way. (laughs) Like she, this woman has no problem throwing shade and I am here for it because she is just living her life and listen no please calm down i'm not the one you think i am i'm the protestant whore mind your business <laughs> and i mean she's just showing up she is being authentic At, she is known for her authenticity and her genuineness she's bringing <laughs> to to borrow more co- corporate lingo she's bringing her whole self to work she she really is um she seems to have, like I said, been very genuine to those around her. She cared for her mother till the end of her very alcoholic days, um, where her the mother, mother's the, alcoholic days, the and mother's not the mistress. yeah, the mother okay. is a, a raging alcoholic, and um, in in a beverage induced stupor, falls into a stream and drowns. But she was cared for by Neil for the remainder of her life until that point obviously um however sadly the large living caught up to her and by the time charles charlie ii dies from a sudden illness in 1685 she was so deep in debt that he requested of his brother quote let not pornelli starve wow yeah when she was asked if she'd take another lover after the king died her response was quote Shall the dog lie where the deer once couched? I'm here for that. Like, uh, right? No, that's that's the same the same logic I have about if hubs were to wander in front of a bus. <laughs> like, I'm I can't, and it's like, yeah, I just there's no other way he could go. It's wander in front of a bus or nothing. <laughs> that's all, the only way we're doing this. <laughs> they, not walk with purpose. It needs to be just aimlessly stroll. <laughs> I was on. I was on a ramble and <laughs> yeah, like if he's, if his inner monologue isn't do to do, then no, <laughs> that's not what we're playing with. So I respect that. She just is a one and yeah. done. Absolutely. Um, the, her brother did pay all, excuse me. The King's brother did pay all her debts and set her a salary, but sadly she would die two years later at only 37 years old, most likely complications of multiple forms of syphilis. Ew, 
that means that they all had it. Well, I mean, this is the time. Syphilis was all the rage. And what was the time period where the French viewed it as the artist disease and there was one French person that like, oh, I don't have it. <laughs> I think that was this time. Okay. I think, that, I think there was a couple hundred years where it was just all the rage. Um, My okay. understanding, and if there is if there is a listener out there that can correct me on this, I would love to be corrected, but my understanding is that her sons, her the son that got the titles, the Duke of St. Albans, that family line still holds that title today. From what I understand. If I'm wrong, please someone tell me. Um, her other legacies are, quote, the subject of plays, operas, and stories, including a three-act play by Edward Jerningham, published in 1799 with the title The Peck and Frolic. And in this comedy, Charles II is in heavy disguise, meets Neil and Peckham, and all sorts of trickery ensues. So, like, she has been characterized over and over again since the day she died. People just adore her. And I just want to end on this last note. There is a quote from Charlie, too, that says, I always admired virtue, but I could never imitate it. (laughs) And I just think the fact that he had 13 mistresses and the one that the people loved the most was this body, no-nonsense kind of gal who rose from the streets to being one of England's first actresses to the King's Sheets says a lot about Charlie, too. (laughs) Did you really just do the actress in the streets? Yeah, I did. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I did. To the King in the Sheets. Um. And I loved I loved her story so much that even though she didn't have a ton of like what the heck moments in her story, we actually know her story in a time when um the lowly mistress, like not the queen, not the king's favorite, it we w- we wouldn't have known those stories, you know, like we actually get to know her. She was represented in the public. The public loved her. She was an actual actress. And I just think that she is absolutely spectacular. And if you want to see a photo of her, I might be able to. Sh- I might be able to make that happen for you. Anyway, she was absolutely gorgeous. She has this ivory skin, chestnut brown hair. They say she was heart shaped in the face. And what I love best about all of her portraits is that I have three of them here in my document, and only one of them is her entire cleavage covered in all of her other portraits at least half of a nipple is out <laughs> wow <laughs> absolutely love it <laughs> i don't know if that was intentional i think it would i honestly think it would have to be intentional right like you don't accidentally nip out uh, yeah no i and could you imagine yeah that's my grandma on the wall <laughs> Like yes. that's always the craziest thing. You think about like those portraits are inherited. Yes. And it's just like, oh, that's your great great grandma. Yes. I absolutely I mean, and she is just beautiful. So I'm I get it. Um, but it it makes me laugh because I know there was that there's the one um mistress, I can't think of her name right now, who was alive a few hundred years before her and she always had a full breast out and like her favorite one exposed right yeah 
I can't think of her name though. Do you know you know who I'm talking about then? Um Madame de Pompadour? No, not de Pompadour. She was a she she was a blonde. Um oh, dang it, it doesn't matter, but she it's hilarious to me because I love that everybody tries to make it as this is like this virtuous um we're exposing the breast because this is the mother of the king's son and that's how he receives his nourishment but like sister just love that one boob <laughs> yeah like look they eat from both boobs right yeah like... but no this is my favorite one thank you my left one thank you so much right <laughs> absolutely love it so that, that's my story um that's my story i'm taking to sticking to it neil gwen the protestant whore least you forget <laughs> I mean, I'm here. I'm here for how she thinks about things and how she shows up every single time. And she had no I just I think I really like her because she doesn't appear to have a pretense. Like I came to do the work and um, I I keep getting blessed with these fortunes in one way or another, but I'm not trying to be anything that I'm not. Mm. And I think that's so uh, refreshing in a time when I'm sure a lot of these women were very different than how they behaved on the outside. That's just my personal opinion. I, I, I don't know for sure, but that's what I would think. Oh my gosh, I can show you the images. For those of you playing at home, Angie's on dial-up internet. When she <laughs> logs in, she hears sounds reminiscent of a fax machine. Do, does anybody even remember what a fax machine sounds like? You know, I have got <laughs> to tell you, like, there have been a couple of times in recent history where I have had to fax paperwork. <laughs> and I am just like, what is this? Where, okay, but you guys don't accept carrier pigeon? <laughs> or a fox even? Right, like, you know, but I could just tie this ribbon around this bird's neck and hope it makes it. Right. Okay, I can actually share my screen with you now. Can you see her? Hold on, it's still coming up. Oh, okay, hey. oh there it is. Okay, there we go. Now you can see her. She is magnificent. Do you see? The... And, and Angie is showing me a woman with uh, skin the color of milk, as yes. white as a white person can be. Uh, the pearls around her neck actually have more pigment. Um, <laughs> she, do you notice her in her hair too? I just noticed that for the first time. Oh, she does have a pearl hair clip. Her hair is loosely down. Her her blouse is uh, more of a frilly sheet draped over her shoulders with the um, hint of nipple. Like it would definitely get the PG-13 rating. <laughs> and she is tousled within red satin sheets, maybe of a bed. Oh yeah, it could be, huh? Right? Like, everything about this is giving me some straight boudoir photo. Oh, and the flower in her that she's delicately touching there? Yep. She's yep. got a flower between her fingers and she's holding it up. And then there's another photo of one that you could actually hang in the dining room. <laughs> yeah, you would not be. That's the only one I found where something wasn't amiss. Mm -hmm. But my favorite one. <laughs> Why is there a sheep? What is going on? <laughs> I mean, you know, look, back in the day, you just wanted to flex that you could paint the textures of different things. And yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. 
you know, there's a lot of folding of the fabric here on her blouse. I think it's a chemise. Or open nighty. Yeah, I think it's a chemise because it's and, got that, yeah. You know, maybe maybe we should understand Charles the the deuce and how he his <laughs> types of kink because maybe this is supposed to be within a farmyard, but I don't know how you would, you know, be curled up around a, a, a sheep with your boobs out. I feel like it'd be really itchy. Yeah, I don't imagine. Yeah, the straw would probably get everywhere. It's worse than sand. I mean, not well, worse than sand, but just a different texture that wouldn't be my favy. Yeah, and she's holding like a laurel wreath, which I think is really interesting. Like the symbolism in this painting is just off the hook. It's like, look, give me dirty photo with some barnyard kink <laughs> and some <laughs> Greek heralding with the the laurel wreath, please. Yes, yes, that's exactly what that is. Um, I'm so glad that by the end of my story, my internet finally worked so I could show you the pictures. Well done. Well done indeed. Oh my gosh. I would just like to formally apologize right now if I ruined my entire section of this podcast because uh, of my laptop. Shut up. I'm just I saying. have to edit that out. Okay. Quit giving me crap to edit out. Anyway, that's the end of my story of Neil Gwynn, my new favorite mistress, and Charlie Two, the Merry King of England. You know, I like the fact that you have a favorite mistress, and I'm going to be sure to make sure Ian only gets that clip. <laughs> Just taken he, completely out of context. First of all, he knows me so well, he wouldn't even be a little bit surprised. He would he would probably tell you I have a favorite mistress at every court. Okay. That so, you know, I this mean, checks, honestly. Right? Yeah. And if she could be played by Kate Beckinsale in the movie, that'd be great. I wasn't getting P- Kate Beckinsale vibes off her face, though. I was no, getting, not like, at all. I'm just really saying. <laughs> young uh Susan Sarandon. Yes. Oh my gosh. That is absolutely that's who she looks like. So y'all, picture Susan Sarandon in a white chemise. But um, incredibly pale. Like Susan Sarandon, the pale, pale one that you you know, and then put her in a cave for a month. Yeah, and don't feed her anything with vitamin C in it. Right. You know, and, right to the um, point of scurvy. That's that's when we're gonna Yes. <laughs> I'm thinking this was also the time when painting yourself with arsenic was the thing. <laughs> I mean, look, arsenic has has been an underrated thing for years, right? Like <laughs> modern people, we just don't commit to beauty the same way. We really don't. And you know what? I think about that all the time. Like in a hundred years, what are they going to say about us? Look, the list is long. <laughs> they're they're going to have a lot of complaints, right? Like we are problematic. The as a whole, like yeah, honestly. Yeah. I super agree. It makes me laugh just thinking about it. But as far as like the makeup goes, I think about that a lot. What are we going to learn that we've been putting on ourselves that's like (laughs) not safe? (laughs) Right? Honestly. Yeah. That's my story and I'm sticking to her. Well, she's amazing. Isn't she fabulous? And and I had to talk about Oliver Cromwell, but I hate that guy. But she ends on a really delightful note that basically sticks it to him. Something fierce. She could sing. She could dance. She was a mistress. 
and uh, she she lived her life without the uh, negative Nelly that was Oliver Cromwell. And she was the positive Nelly. Get she it? Her name was Nell. Was. Yeah, she yeah. was a positive Nelly. Yeah, and I love her. So that's it. Okay. Well, if you've enjoyed listening to us talk about the negative and positive Nellies, and you're thinking, good grief, I want my contingent to be called out. Rally up enough people in your area and get them all to listen. So you guys appear on our maps and we go, oh my gosh, North Dakota showed up. Did you, all of North Dakota, the entire pop, all five of them are listening to I was going to say, podcast. North Dakota doesn't actually exist. It's a myth. I mean, Maybe. <laughs> okay but anyhow rate review subscribe like this share this with a friend it's basically how you support a free podcast yeah you know like give a coin to the witcher <gasps> oh. and on that note goodbye thanks bye